Hello and welcome to Searching for Truth Now. So this episode uh, was quite a tough one for me because when I first heard of Elevai Dawi's story with the issues he's having with the family courts and trying to see his children, I was a little bit scared. I was thinking that maybe this isn't something that I should get to involve with. But you know what? With everything that's going on in the world right now, uh, the amount of corruption that is being disclosed, do you know, I'm kind of past that now. And I just feel that we all really do need to speak up. We need to speak out about the corruption that's going on all around us. So uh, that's what this interview is all about. It's about corruption going on in the family courts. I have absolutely no doubt that this is true. So please do watch or listen to the whole interview. And I say watch because it's also on YouTube and it's also available on most podcast platforms. Please do take the time to uh, listen or watch all of it. Take a break if you need to. But this needs to be heard. So, without further ado, this is me talking to Elevai Dawi, all about the corruption that is going on within our family court system. Hello, Elevai. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. You are my first male guest for Searching for Truth. Well, <laughs> that's an honour. It's an honour. <laughs> Be the first male person on the air. It is. It's like I've entered a, a, a an arena, and I'm the first. It's great. Yeah. I hope people were starting to think it's a it's a woman's show. It's not true. It's not true. And in fact, I just want to I want to say this before I sort of do an introduction. Uh, you are actually one of the first guests that I had in mind for searching for truth before I've done all the other episodes. Yeah. Uh, but it's taken this long and there's a reason why I'm going to explain that from my perspective, why it has taken this long getting you, getting you here. But I'm so glad to have you here. So thank you. Thank you. So Elevi, I um, saw a video of yours and I may show clips of videos within this. We'll see. But I saw a video of yours, which just spoke to me you were speaking to your children that you haven't seen um, for years. I'm going to let you talk about the details of that. Um, and you were talking to them through YouTube in the hope that one day your message will get through to them and they will know that you were there. I've got some contacts already, including family members of my own that are going through a battle with seeing their children. <clears throat> the children are with their mothers. And so it's kind of close to my heart. I've got relatives, young, young children, relatives that I've never seen. So it's kind of close to my heart when I saw your video. I know that there's a fight going on with a lot of men, uh, not just in this country, but around the world. Yeah. And as soon as I saw your video, I knew that I wanted to talk to you and I reached out. And since then, I have learned so much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I thought I was, I was, a, I was, I thought I was going to be a little bit skeptical about having you on because obviously, when there's two people involved, a mother and a father, it's a difficult situation to get involved with, and I was expecting the conversation to be around that, all around, 
the relationship, everything that had happened, the back and forth. And I was so shocked to realize actually the conversation we had Ella Vi, was very little to do with your children's mother. It was all to do with the uh, family courts and the issues that you have been having. It breaks my heart that you have been fighting to see your children, to have a relationship with your children for so long. I'm really sorry that you, you've gone through that. And I just want to talk to you. I want to just go with the flow today and for the listeners, the watchers to get an understanding of what is going on here because yours is not the only case. So, um, first of all, Elevi, um, how long has it been that you haven't seen your children? It's coming up to six years now. Okay. And you, I want, I want you to, could you start from the beginning for me on how, um, I mean, I don't mean insofar as it's difficult because I don't want us to go into like the depths of, you know, the ins and outs of the relationship and, and what have you, but you've, you really have got a fight on your hands at the moment. And to me, it seems totally in just what's happening. So are you able to explain, um, just to give us an idea of, of where you're at at the moment and just let's just see if we can get the ball rolling. Yeah, well, um, where I'm at at the moment is embroiled in a, in a legal thing. Um, a war, I call it, because I've had to be fighting for the last six years. Um, to start with, you mentioned that our conversation wasn't very much to do with the mother of my children. Um, and that's because um, for two reasons. One, because I want to speak my truth, but I don't want to denigrate the mother or you know, be negative about her because um, she's the mother of my children. But also, I would say that, yes, there was problems between me and the mother, but those problems were the fuel for a system in order to click into place. So although my initial um, thing was about the mother and for a long time, I guess psychologically, that's what I want you to do. You know, you're fighting with one enemy, but that enemy is part of a bigger problem. And that is exemplified in my story because of the way I've been prosecuted, what I've been prosecuted for, what I've been charged with now, you know, it, it shows, when you analyze what's happened, it shows how the system operates in my case. So I'm a perfect example of how the system tries to de destroy fathers. Now, women, mothers, do suffer from the same things that I suffer from. It's, a, it's not a gender-based thing, but within the system, um, we do have, in the scenario, we have two elements, a mother and a father. And the role of the father has also been marginalized 
And I think that's happened for specific reasons within society in order to destabilize the family, the family unit. And it's a win-win situation for the system because if you can destabilize the, the family unit and you can do it in a profitable way, then your, your job's perfect. You know, you get instant rewards for what you're doing. Not only do you get instant rewards, you get future rewards because when you, and this is how the system works. This is how, I'm going to go back after this, but it's good to sort of like paint a picture of the system as I know it now, and then go back and show you the system as I knew it then. Well, as I know the system now, it's a, it's a venomous extortion system designed to annihilate the family unit and also profit from the destruction of the father particularly, yeah, because of the stabilizing effect um, father can sometimes have in the lives of children, yeah. I know this from my own experience, and you know this from, so being a male, yeah, and having my father not around a lot, I understand there were certain steps in becoming a man, and some of those steps were to do with respecting my mother. That wasn't taught by my mother, yeah? It was taught by my dad, you know what I mean? Mm. So there's stuff like that, and there's other things too. But going back, so my mind now, that's how I, I see the system now. And this is partly to do with why I tell my story. <clears throat> but the system is so um, cruel and deceptive that when you approach the system, you don't find um, the description I gave you. And you are blind to what's gonna to happen to you. So you're an innocent person because, and your objective is just to see your children. So you don't know that you're going into a war. For instance, it wasn't the mother of my children that has um, made any applications. I was the one who made an application to the courts. So, I thought I was in a position to have them look at me as a, as a father and not criminalize me basically. So um, it, all, it all started to do with family and we, went, we were involved, as a, as a family, we were involved in a group called Capoeira Angola Manchester. We went there to do Capoeira and the music and the culture. And it was um, in a company called Zion, like a, family center and it was in that environment that my relationship started to break down because the mother of my children got involved in a with the group in a different way and again i'm not going to go into details because the main point is this i was being distanced from my children um when i complained about the effects of the group on my family it caused a problem in the organization because I was basically in a situation where my belief was, this is again to do with my upbringing. I wasn't okay with my children just staying in random people's homes. And in, in this situation, the group was, I was invested to the point of going to a class every week, you know, with my children and doing capoeira and involving myself as much as I could in that sense. But the mother of my children was more um, involved in the group itself. And this would mean staying in different places. And I, this was happening as the relationship was breaking down, I would say. And this 
expanding it. So I was losing contact with my children and having to look like some kind of person who's pursuing a, a woman when I'm not. I'm trying to have contact with my children. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to end the relationship and I'll say to the mother of my children, all I want, if you want a single life, have one. All I'd like is my children two to three times a week and a foreign holiday. That's it. She said no to that. So I thought, okay, I'll go to the family court. And um, this time I was still having some contact with them, but it was breaking down as I was saying, it wasn't, it wasn't structured. Um, so I went to the family court and I applied. And once the documents were served on the mother, that's when all contact stopped, all of it. So from that point, I was basically going from one court date to the other, living from one court date to the other in order to um, get contact. So at this point, you were really trusted in the system, weren't you? 100%. I thought I was in a, I thought I was, a, you know what, I thought I was in a, um, a really good position because when I one interesting thing is to say and this is through analysis yeah a mother of my children was so invested in the people in this group and this group that when I made complaints yeah the group fell apart because I found out that there was people in the group two individuals don't know their names to this date because I couldn't get data stuff but it turned out that they had convictions not to be able to work with children so this is a this is a this is a thingy of my life. This is a um, thing that happens a lot in my life. I'll do one thing to have an effect in a certain area, but a lot of times it has ripple effects and it goes off and goes up there. And I didn't know that I'd find that when I was just saying, look. So that group got expelled from that building, Zion in Manchester. And that really, really hurt the mother of my children she went hard on me, you know, because she had a nice life in that whole thing, in that whole. But surely, yeah. I mean, that straight away, I'm, 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 I, from, a, from a woman, I'm like, regardless of finding a group of friends, once you find out that perhaps, you know, they're on the sex register or they've, they've had issues in the past with children and you've got children yourself, regardless of your relationship, I just, I know everyone's different, but I just find it really hard to, to relate to that. Because say, yeah, she always, she always believed that to be a lie, though. She didn't okay, that. okay. I believe that to be just something that I was saying. Oh, so I that, see. I had no paperwork. I had no evidence. And once I tried to get that stuff, like again, I'm not, I'm not the person I am now. That was then. Mm-hmm. You know, now I would have had that evidence. I would have made ways of recording it. Or, you know. <laughs> Well, we're going to we're going to come to the details you yeah. go to now. And so yeah, that, only yeah. Later, it's only later now in latter times that I've been able to confirm that, and it was a shock to her that it was true. Oh. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's how. That thank you for that, Elevi, because that that gives us a real sort of background to how mm. this all started it's just something i want to touch on because as well as 
once I met you and I started to hear a little bit about the, the, the systems that you're sort of fighting, I've also, as you know, done um, uh, searching for truth around fostering. Yeah. And the same systems in some ways, a little bit different kind of what we're talking about came up. And when I spoke to uh, the lady that I spoke to in the interview and I talked to her a little bit about your situation, she then disclosed to me even more uh, around some, some real harrowing um, stories, true stories around children that were um, wrongly sort of taken and then given back because obviously the system hadn't worked. So for me, it was like, it, it was like after speaking to you, it was almost like a can of worms opened and I knew that I needed to go here because it's, 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 it's not working. Now, one thing I wanted to just sort of, cause I know a lot of people that will be drawn to watching this will know this, but a lot of people won't. Um, I don't, can you tell me how long was it? Cause this all changed, the system changed, didn't it? When legal aid, stopped yeah. um and that was um was that 2012 yeah around um, 2013 2012 2013 change i don't know the exact date now i did a i did a video on it some time ago so i'm a bit rusty on those figures but um yeah when it changed at the time i analyzed like an 80 percent jump but don't quote me on that but there was a, a there was a rise in um domestic abuse allegations mm. and there's good reason for that you know because the only way you can get a legal aid certificate is if there's domestic abuse because the legal aid that would naturally come had been taken away so even in this sense um you're basically empowering um the mother over the father because because of the way the court works so in terms of Let's use an extreme analogy in terms of men and women. Say you had a five foot three woman, demure, and there was a six foot seven man in the relationship. Quite rough looking. Um, in terms of probability, the average person, if they say there's domestic abuse in this relationship, who is the perpetrator? The majority of the masses would not, just because of conditioning, say that it was the five foot three female. They would naturally say, even I would, <laughs> I would say, look at him. <laughs> but in actual effect, in actual reality, it could be the very opposite, couldn't it? We all know what the, the, the perception. So in terms of probability, in that scenario, in a, in, a, in a perfect criminal court, which there isn't one, it wouldn't matter about that disparity because you'd be looking at the evidence, you know? So if the male was accused of being the perpetrator and then every evidence could surface and it turned out that, oh, there was CCTV and it didn't happen like that, it was actually her, um, and it would be, it's supposed to be a safeguard because evidence is involved. However, in the family court now, it's not about evidence, it's about probability. And this goes to all areas. But in just terms of the mother and father, 
in terms of passing off certain things as abuse when it's not, it's much more easy to put that scenario forward. Well, look at him and look at her. And I remember that being said in court. Who are they going to believe? Are they going to believe you? This is this is an argument being put forward by. Oh, you've frozen. The um, <clears throat> barrister so, representing the mother of my children, and he's saying it in a what? Your screen's frozen, Elvi. Hold on, your screen froze. Is it okay? It's all right now. Yeah, oh, just kind sorry. of go back and say what you were just saying. <laughs> I was saying that in terms of the barrister saying to me, who do you think they would believe? He's saying this to the judge who was making an argument and this was part of his argument. Who would you believe? And, and he outlined a few things such as she, she, um, she um, volunteers for the police and built up her character a bit and said, who do you think... He He'll, he'll believe you or her. And this was in terms of allegations. Now, it's important to just show how the allegations started. When I was um, told that I couldn't see my children, it was a time when I'd be away from home anyway, because I'm a musician. I would have been away over the Christmas and New Year time, you know, working in whatever city. Could be, and I, I think it was Edinburgh that year, yeah. So, just before then, I'd been told that I couldn't see them by the mother. So all of that period when I'd usually be entertaining, I wasn't still entertaining, but I had that thing hanging over me. And after the new year now, when I'd usually be going back to them successfully, um, I had that fear that I wouldn't be able to see them because she said that she didn't want me to have any contact. Um, and this was by the time she got solicited to now. And looking back, I, I now can see what was going on. I couldn't then. So coming back after the new year, I thought to myself, okay, she's not letting me see them, but I'll go to their swimming lesson. It's what I'd naturally do if I was not working. So I went to a swimming lesson. It was a little bit frosty between me and her, but we pretended that everything was okay. And we, you know, we were with the children. Two weeks later after this incident, I got the police contacting me saying that there'd been an incident at the swimming class and that um, the children were traumatised. Now the police officer said to me, we've looked at the children, there doesn't appear to be any trauma. And he, I remember saying to me, him saying to me, you've got family court stuff going on, haven't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it appears that she's trying to build stuff for you. And I didn't understand what he, what he meant, the police officer. Yeah. But he told me not to speak to her, not to contact her. And I said, I don't understand why you're calling. There's nothing, I've not done anything. And he said, well, it's just best if you stay away. And um, we know there's nothing happening, but in terms of evidence now, that incident was put forward yeah, from the system as an incident where something had happened, you know, and that was the first um, 
a shock to me, really, with, with a false allegation. And then there was another um, time. I woke up very early in the morning. I meditated. I was feeling great, yeah? And I thought, I'm going to send a, a message. And the message, I still got the message. I think I might have used it in something. Um, I was feeling great, and I, I, I said that. Um, when I carried you in labor with, don't mention my daughter's name, um, <laughs> um, it was about love. And yeah, everybody thinks I'm this and that. You're telling this, you're telling Kafka I'm this, you're telling this, you know, but I'm going to let all that go. And I hope we can, you know, I'm trying to paraphrase and show you the nature of the, the message. So this was around six in the morning, feeling great, as I say. And, um, and then I forget about it. Yeah, I forget that I've sent it. I'm not thinking about it. Two o'clock in the afternoon, I get a call from the police stating that I've contacted her and it's a problem. Again, the police weren't really, you know, um, too bothered. I said, well, have you read the message? And the police officer said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the message, but it's the fact that you're contacting her and, you know, you've been told not to. So they were the first, like, blocks, legal, where stuff was coming in. And, um, and again, there was another turning point with allegations in terms of um, how it affected the case. Originally, she got a, what's called an emergency legal aid certificate. Solicitors do them all the time, and it's kind of like, a way of holding the client there while you can see if you can get the proper certificate for the full case. So we'll get emergency. And um, so it was a time when I was getting statements through from the solicitor's state, basically to the court, but I'd get a copy saying we're delayed in getting legal aid. So it's delayed statements being done because we can't act at the moment. And I was happy about this. I think, oh, cool. But it did come through, and the way the way the legal aid um, was opened up is um, by the allegation of rape. Yeah. Now, just to go just to go a bit before this, while while this was going on, and I lost contact with my children and tried to negotiate what's happening, I went to a, a group called um, Families Need Fathers. They're all over the country. There's loads of groups everywhere. And I went to a group and the allegations had um, started. It was wrecking my life. But it didn't get to the one that I've just mentioned, the extreme one. The the gold, the, the silver bullet. <laughs> it didn't get to that one yet. So I went into this group saying, thinking, to, I'm broken, I'm thinking to myself, okay, when I tell these guys what I've been going through, they're going to be shocked. So I'm sat in the room and I'm not the first to speak. So the first person starts speaking and I'm waiting, I'm thinking, wait until I hear what I've got to tell them. And as he starts speaking, yeah, I'm hearing a story that just is horrendous, blows me out of the water. And then the other one is worse. And I'm thinking, wow, at least I'm not in these guys' situation, you know, because there was allegations of child abuse, allegations of rape. And I was thinking, wow. At least she's not doing that to me. I felt quite good. <laughs> Only to later 
you encounter with the same thing. Now, the reason why the rape allegations are great is because your your word against mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so serious that you're gonna have to look into this. We cannot have somebody who, who's doing that around children. We're gonna have to look in, into this. So they set what's known as a finding of fact. Remember what I said about the criminal cases and the probability in the family case? Mm-hmm. So finding a fact. Now, if I say that this mouse is here and you can see it and I can see it, we can, we can say that's a pretty much a fact. But um, in the family court, the mouse doesn't have to be there. Yeah, you just have to say that it was there. And then based on probability, so you've got the rest of the computer stuff around, so okay, well, it was most probably going to be there then, if the rest of the stuff's there. But that isn't fact, is it? There's many reasons why it couldn't be there, so that's how it's determined. And it's determined by one person, a judge. And that judge has the say to say if it's factual or not. And he'll look at evidence, because, you know, in my case, there was a lot of evidence, you know, there's a lot of communication between us. So when you're trying to paint a picture of violence or threats and stuff like this, if you can't find it in there, what are you going to do? You got, I haven't got a person who's been going to the hospital for the last 10 years regularly with strange wounds. You haven't got any of that. So when a rape allegation happens, you have to say in the family court saying, well, we need to protect her just in case. So what we'll do is we'll put in a non-molestation order. Um, when I first heard this order, I thought to myself, well, it's molestation, that's what it says. I'm not going to be molesting herself, no problem. Put it in. And in the early days, the clauses on that were like, can't contact her, can't make any threats, can't hurt her in any way, and then can't go within a certain amount of things. And I'm thinking, no problem. Not doing any of that anyway. Yeah. That started to get amended over time. And in certain times when they started to understand what I was becoming, they amended it to say I couldn't speak my children's names, I couldn't put any pictures of them up. And then they started protecting themselves where I couldn't name anybody in the case. I couldn't, and these are amendments to it. So couldn't name judges, couldn't name this, couldn't name that. Then I couldn't contact third parties. You know, just adding look, put me in a bit of a, a prison really in terms of what I could and couldn't do. But not, not anything to do with the initial thing. When I say there was evidence as well, in latter times when I've gone to the criminal process, when they put me through the criminal process because of that order, um, I learned about disclosure and how the CPS, the Crown Prosecution, have to give you certain documents. So I, I found that there was a history of false allegations by the mother of my children made to the police, and now I had it in a cell. Yeah. When I came out, I was able to say to them, well, wait a minute, how can you put a non-monestation order in place when there's a history of lies? Mm. And because I've been studying law in the prison, it actually states it in their law, you know, because there's provisions that say then the enforcing of that may have ramifications for the contact with the children. But they don't care because they're trying to break the children, trying to break the home. So it's um, 
interesting, but back to that non-molestation order then. Um, yeah, there are, so once that, also this is the important thing. Once it's in place, then evidence goes out the window with the legal aid agency, because that's Oh, I've lost you. That's your ticket to legal aid then. So that's why the barristers and solicitors need to get that in place. Yeah. Unstable again. I was just waiting because it looked like it was unstable. Yeah, it froze, it froze, but you're back again. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying that um, you have an industry then of people that suffered a loss when the legal aid purse was closed in 2012-13. And then you have a system that decided, well, here's how we'll do it. Here's how we'll make up for the deficit. And actually, we can make more money because all we have to do is extend cases. Now, in the early days, I went through a lot of bottom feeders, as I call them. Certain McKenzie friends who are not legally qualified, you know, you can throw a massive amount of money at them to help them, you know, to come to court. They'll never tell you that. I thought the first time I went to court, I'd be back seeing my children within a month of going there or something. That was my, that was my worst case scenario, you know. Well, you're frozen again. <laughs> when, when this rape allegation happened, the finding of fact date to find out if it was true was then put like over a year in advance. In that time, I was basically, analysed, um, every area of my life was looked into, anything they could use against me was used against me. So one, the scenario that I'm painting is, is um, very important because a lot of people, including myself, believe that this is just happening to me. This isn't happening to anybody else. It's happening for, to me for whatever reason. And the, the, the courts must work like this because they have they must have victims. They must have people who don't know what the courts are about. Mm. They must have victims. And that's why I'm a dangerous person to the courts because I'm enlightening the people on the true nature of the courts. Yeah. Well, from, from, from an outside point of view, from my point of view, I can see now, especially with your story, that the whole thing is almost deliberately expanded so that it's just i mean this is this is there's people within this system making a lot of money here isn't there oh yeah over, over a long period of time yeah um yeah, yeah sorry say what you were going to say i was going to say in terms of money this is it's important because um spiritually because i've had to i've had to understand the system on many levels he asked me if i believe in a creator well one of the important things about believing in a creator then i believe in certain stuff operates in a spiritual way as well as a physical and mental way and i've had to understand the courts in that sense as well and the reason being is even if you don't believe in a god or a creator but the court system is is set up in terms of a god and a creator because when you go to court you take certain oaths and in order to do the function of a judge you have to take an oath and you're taking it to the creator. When you go to give evidence in a criminal court, they ask you, who do you want to take it over to? And they will accord that to your faith. 
where the majority of the people will be using a Bible and saying, I swear by Almighty God that I will tell the truth. It's similar to, so in terms of this arena that we go into, this is why I, I use words like devils and satanic. Um, the principle of a judge is to disminister, administer, sorry, um, justice. And that is what your oath is about, and it's justice to all. You're supposed to be impartial, and you're supposed to be like the administer of, of God's law, natural law. But the system has implanted that. With, you can't monetize God's law. You can't monetize natural law, you know. So they have to put in place certain types of um, legislation and acts in order to monetize it. So you then find, and this is very prevalent in the family court, because the reason why the corruption is so bad in the family court is because of the children. It all comes back to the children. The children are the um, justification, excuse, and um, camouflage to their corruption. Because when people do some things in the name of the children, nobody looks inside. Mm. And the family court tells us that they operate in secret to protect the um, identities, the well-being of children. That's all very good. I understand your motivation mm -hmm. for your secrecy. However, your secrecy allows you to be venomous criminals with no heart. It will destroy families, facilitate paedophilia, um, exploit the most vulnerable. You know, the list could go on. I could just keep explaining stuff in different... Yeah, you know. no, there, 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 has to be, there has to be more transparency because since I've met you and been talking to you, there's just, it's just, like I said earlier, it's like a can of worms. So you can understand why they've perhaps, you know, put this kind of film on it that, yeah, you know, we need to protect, but yet also look at the damage that's also coming out of this, out of the other end. Um, there's, there's a lot... There's a lot to talk about with you, Elevi, because obviously there's a, this has been going on for so long. Mm -hmm. You have obviously really built up your intellect with, with so far of, of, of your no in, in the legal system over the years, haven't you? Because you've, yeah. you've um, obviously we can, we're going to, I want to talk to you in detail, but I'm mindful of how much time we've got. Um, you have... <clears throat> You've been sent to prison over this mm -hmm. and you've managed to get yourself off of, off of that. Yeah. You've, um, with regards to the, if we just sort of talk uh, initially about what you've already mentioned, which is the rape allegation. Um, how did that work? What, what happened with that? Can you explain? Because I know some people might be thinking like, well, what, what happened with that? Um... I think it got very, um, from, I'll tell you, the latest statement that was written to me was from my mother and my children. And it always shows me where she's at in the game. Now she's still trying to not make me have contact, but it mentioned the rape allegations. And it basically said this, it keeps putting forward this narrative about false allegations as if he's some sort of victim. Now, Basically, 
she doesn't want me to speak about the rape allegations anymore, you know. But speaking about the rape allegations has empowered me, you know, and kind of, because um, it's like, one thing I've, I've learned about doing this truth thing, this truth channel and stuff like this, um, the, way, the reason I believe that I'm successful is because I use the weapons that were thrown at me back at them, you know. It's like somebody's come out with a gun to you and you've taken it off them and you've used it on them. Which they don't, they're not used to that, are they? No, I think not. it's becoming apparent with your case that they are definitely not used to that. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't let go of the rape allegations because it had an effect on me that was... Um, Again, a lot of the things that I've done, I've created, but it's because... Well, I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt, but you went to them. I did. So you went to them and then you've got a rape allegation. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just in itself, it just, it, 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 yeah. I'll tell you why the rape allegation didn't work as well. It's because of the nature of what happened. The mother of my children seemed to be escalating the um, allegations for, I think, well, I know now. At the time, I didn't for two reasons. One, they were trying to get reactions out of me. And two, as the reactions didn't happen, they needed to escalate it. They needed to get more drama in the case. And like I said, it opened the floodgates for a lot of money, a lot of time. Yeah. More importantly, because money is time there. Yeah. And um, it annihilated me, really. It was to annihilate me. But the saving grace is this. When you, when you are... Um, expanding a story like that, a true rape victim, many, if they're not traumatised in some way, they'll know the story of what's happened to them in the original time. They'll know it, they've lived it. But when, when you're lying in the family court, you have to build your story over time. And it was that building of the story that became hard to conceive and in my mind at the time, it was as if um, I was breaking down this whole scenario of, of being a rapist. I was breaking it down intellectually and legally. But this was a time waste because I was fighting a ghost. They didn't mind the fact that I was showing evidence that, I, you know, she was texting me or asking me to come home and stuff like this. It, it's different from the scenario that they're painting. I've got all this evidence. Now, I think I'm winning that battle, but that's not a battle I should have even been fighting if I had known this. Right? It's just an orchestrated plan. The judge knows she hasn't been raped. The barrister knows she, she hasn't. They all know she hasn't. But they're going through this process because if she had been raped, they would have a legal obligation to inform the police. Now, the way the police came into this is because I went to them after the allegations kept on going and affecting my university place. I said, look, she's making false allegations. It's affecting my life. Could you please speak to her? Um, they said that they would. I went for the interview with them. They took all the stuff. They said, we're going to do this. We're going to speak to her. And it seemed as if they were going to take on a false allegation case. But once I went to speak to her now, she basically said it was true. So they started investigating me and my allegation dropped. So it went from there into the criminal arena. But I was really empowered at that stage because by now I've proved to them in the family court 
that was lies. And the judges said it's lies now. So I basically said when I went to the police interview for the rape, you know, the judge. I made sure that I told them about the judge and I said, look, you want to get the evidence from the family court into this? They were like, no. No, to be honest, they said, yes, we will. We'll do that. They never did. And this shows you about systems as well, how these systems play together and work together. Um, the family court system, the probation system, the child protection service, social workers, CAFCAS, all these institutions how they work together to facilitate the same agendas. Now, I won't for a minute say that there's not some good people involved in certain areas, but good people don't matter to me. This is the thing within these systems that don't. Because if you had a barrel of snakes and there was 100 in there, and 99 of them were bad snakes, and 10 of them were good, or one was good, or few were good. You wouldn't put your hand in there just for the ones that say they're okay, you know, because you know that there's a good percentage that are not. And that's the way I look at the system. These people who are good and profess to be good don't seem to be doing anything in terms of changing the system because the horrors that are happening today the same horrors that were happening many, many years ago. There's nothing yeah. here. So yeah. we must conclude that the system doesn't want to change. No. Because too many people are profiting off the children. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I have a feeling that you, LFI, may um, be really helping towards change. I, abs so? I absolutely... Um, Obviously, as everybody would say this, hope so. But watching what you're doing now, and I know we've still got a bit of working up to that, but I really do want to get to where you are now because it's the, the, it's the children. I cannot believe that the children, not just your two children, but so many children, it doesn't seem like to me like there's very much compassion for the children here. It's almost like whenever I hit, see you and I see your videos or I speak to you, it's almost as if your children aren't even part of this anymore. Whereas that's what this is all about for you. That's what this is. And it's almost as if they've forgotten that they're now fighting with you and you've got this fight with you. But what about the children? Not just in your case, but in all of these cases that I've since discovered within fostering and other areas. Like you say, Elevi, you've got the child protection, you've got the court system, and they've got the social services. And how many people have just been flattened because of this? Because what, the way I look at it is, the longer this is going on, the better at it they seem to be with the processes that they are using over and over and over again. But you, Olivia, you seem to have, you're not standing for this. And that's why I'm so pleased to know you. I'm so pleased to be connected with you because you're actually going, even though you haven't seen your children for six years, you are still standing and you are still fighting to be a father to those children. And like we said earlier, I don't think they're used to that because usually these systems have flattened people. And I welcome anyone that watches or listens to this to come forward to me, to you that have been flattened and to just keep an eye on what is going on here with your case, which we're obviously gonna to come to. 
Um, it breaks my heart. It really does. Can I say, um, when you say that I'm going to, um, oh, I'm creating change, I'm helping to create change, I really don't know, you know, because sometimes you look at the system and you think to yourself, can this even be fixed? And you said that I went to prison. I would like to talk about that. So um, the first time I, I was um, charged with something was when they decided that I couldn't have any contact with my children. And the case was basically over. The first case was over. I went onto Facebook and I had a little, they called it a rant in court. And I got community service for that because I didn't deny doing it. You know, it was on my Facebook, they shut my Facebook down. You know, I basically said three elements that they banned. Um, ch my children's names, judges, I think I mentioned that at the time, and what else did I mention? Um, so there was a couple of little charges they had in there. They had posts in it, because that was also, um, I wasn't allowed to post anything. And then the actual fact that I named, so I got a, um, uh, community order for that, community service for that. And then at the end of the, this is important. When I was beginning to see, my eyes were opening up to the corruption over a period of time in court. By the time it got to the final um, hearing, all my faith in the system had gone. So I went in there and I recorded the four day final hearing. And um, I couldn't believe that these people were so ravenous and wanted to get the case closed so quickly and box it off um, that they didn't realise I'm coming in there with two phones every day. Um, so I recorded everything. This is a time when I got to cross-examine people. By this time, they put another, when the rape allegation didn't work, when that got squashed and it wasn't working anymore, they got me to do a... a no, I agreed to do a... Um, psychological assessment, I agreed to it because my, my thinking was this, I'll do anything to see my children and I've got nothing to hide. I'm okay, I've got nothing to hide. I'll speak to this person, you know. I've got a report back now. I'm a, I'm a I, what am I? I've got narcissistic personality disorder and also paranoid personality disorder. Now, these are two important things. When you're speaking out on the system and making a... Um, complaints, because I've been making complaints for a long time, you know, to the system, you know. So the person the person who's strangling you, like that, I'm writing a complaint to them and saying, look, it's hurting. Let's take it off a little bit. And I give the person that, but for some reason, just keep strangling you. So I was making complaints to them like you do, and they didn't like that. So looking back, those diagnoses that they gave me were quite good in terms of making you look like, well, whatever you're talking about the system, one, you're paranoid, and two, you're narcissistic. So you're kind of supposed to nullify, you know. Well, there's yeah. something I've seen, <clears throat> and uh, on, uh, I do recommend anyone watching this goes to your YouTube channel and, and get some more information on some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, but there's things out there that, that just sort of show that um, this is quite this is quite a common thing, really, to have certain experts in place to to do this. Because again, what's it doing, Elevi? Is it not just them prolonging it even 
even more yeah uh, and I, trying to just kind of put you put you in your place and kind of get rid of you and well let me tell you how let me tell you why i'm dangerous to the system i've said this before when i say stuff like this um that i have the power to bring the system down in this lancashire area um people say to me you think you're will smith an enemy of the state but i don't think that what i actually think is this the systems involved and that psychologist that gave me that report, because I, I, I proved at the final hearing as well, that much of it has been plagiarised. I questioned her and um, some stuff like this is on, on YouTube as well. And it was evidence of malpractice, corruption, um, perverting the course of justice. You know, that's the evidence that was there. And um, that one expert must have worked on how many... In fact, I was told... When I tried to challenge her validity and her credentials and said that she had plagiarised the work, the judge said to me, no, because she's a well-respected um, psychologist and she's worked on thousands of cases. No. May I was to implicate that person and have evidence, then every case that they're involved in for the last, I don't know how many years, and for how many judges that this person was used, every case would need opening up again. Well, it was highlighted, wasn't it? It was highlighted, just uh, some, some real statistics around the qualification of these, of, these, uh, of these people and how inaccurate this, this was. Yeah. And, um, and that was very quickly shut down, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't, they didn't want that out there because you're right. If one person, let's say, uh, if this gets sort of out there as it's not right, and yet there's hundreds, if not thousands of cases that fall under that person's expertise. Yeah. And, and look at it this way as well. When they want an expert, they don't just look at, oh, which one can we get through the list of experts? This is a person that they use hundreds of times. In my case, I'm here with no legal team. I've not been able to um, carry on using the legal team I had originally because they're asking for like um, 800 pound blocks of money as I went along. Um, it costs just under a thousand for them to come to court the first time, just one day. 900 and something it was for them to prepare their papers and come to court with me. So it didn't last long for my legal team. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, yeah. I, yeah. I, I got on the phone and said, look, I don't need you guys anymore because I couldn't sustain the level of, of need. They were very needed. They were high maintenance and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but here's the interesting thing. I'm here with no legal team. So the children have a legal team because they have CAFCAS and they have a legal team. And the mother of my children has a legal team. And in terms of being at court, that means she might be with, the mother of my children might be with four people. There'll be a barrister, there'll be a solicitor, there might be somebody else, or there might be Kafkasks, and they'll have a barrister there. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an organization and you. And a good example is the fact that both those legal teams, Kafkas and the mother of my children paid jointly or the experts. And this is how the system feeds. Everybody's getting paid. Yeah. 
everybody's getting paid now in terms of uh, I have to paraphrase but it says whoever pays the piper picks the tune that's the same or whoever you know pays for the fiddler picks the tune something like that and it's the, in a, it's the case here that when you're paying for something that person will give you the verdict that they, you, you want. They'll give you the outcome, the right report you want to do what you need to do because you're, the outcome of these cases is predetermined. They know who, what's going to happen with your children. They know how they're going to do it. They know how long it'll take or how long they want it to take. Yeah. So in terms of me making these recordings, I had very powerful evidence on the corruption. So I reported myself to the police saying that I've broken the law, I've done a criminal act. And on the phone, they were very interested thinking, what has this man done? Um, I said that I've recorded family court proceedings and it's a crime. Um, they told me that they wouldn't do anything. Um, so, but they contacted the family court to see if they wanted to take press charges. They contacted the family court and they said no, they didn't want to press charges. So um, I called their bluff because I knew that if they prosecuted me for recording the family court proceedings, then the evidence on your evidence against me has got corrupt judges. So mm. nobody touched me. So I had these recordings for about a year and then I um, started to think about the allegations that have been made against me. Um, and I started saying, okay, well, I'm going to tell my truth, and that's how Alibi Truth TV was born. And and I, I, because I'd not gone through a lot of what I've gone through now, um, I'm just going to do two channels: one's truth, one's music. Did promotion for it, posters. But over this period, I started getting attention for the Truth Channel, and then I got arrested for using some of the audio in one of the videos. And that's when I was first put into prison on remand, you know. So that was an experience in itself. Mm. And gave me an idea of the system again, because I've been speaking out on the system, but I'd never, I'd never seen the final piece of the puzzle, which is the prison service, the warehouse for humans. Yeah. How long were you there? How long were you in there for? Just over five months. So they put my case in the Crown Court so that I would stay in prison for longer. It was basically like um, a holding a holding um, charge and they wanted me to plead guilty. So they kept forcing me while I was in prison in many ways, well guilty. Um, but I held out and it's happened twice. It's like a repeat procedure for two years run when I was put into prison on remand for speaking out. And I think what they were doing, trying to do was silence me, but what's happened over those two periods is that it's increased me. They've helped create I was, I was gonna say that. I think you said that those that time that you were in prison, um, that actually gave you some time to really get, I don't know, get to where you are now, I think in some ways. It didn't crack, it didn't crack you up, did it? Well, those two times in prison were very, very different. So the first time, I'd never been in prison before, the first time was a shock to my system. And I couldn't, I, I, was, in a, I was in a mental 
like a mental disillusionment or something like that. Couldn't denial. Couldn't believe that they were sending me to prison for a video. Couldn't believe how it was done. Couldn't believe the venomous actions of the judge. Couldn't believe that the police had fabricated evidence to say that I had weapons in my in my um, flat. Later turned out to be just kitchen knives in the kitchen. But they can write stuff in certain ways to make it look like you're um like you've got AK forty sevens in here and you know. So they re- they really were just trying to get you down and out of the way from the sounds yeah, of things. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And um so when they put it in the Crown Court, they could keep me in prison for longer, up to six months. But that's what they did on both occasions. Now the first time, yeah, in this denial stage, not understanding, um, I, I was really fighting the system and really writing letters, um saying that I'm unlawfully imprisoned, um, making complaints really um, shaking up the prison system inside. But all this stuff that I was doing was having no effect because I was basically begging them to be let out. The second time I got locked up, so like I said, I had a lot of issues in prison, you know, adjusting, and it was a shock. I'd never been there before. But the second time now, I knew the process, and I didn't fight it as much when I was in there because I knew that there's nothing that's going to, change their mind. They're not going to say, okay, Mr. Bowie, listen, we've locked you up. Well, you don't deserve to be in there. Go on. Go on. No. They start a process and they're going to end it. Um, and they wanted me, wanted convictions on me. Their plan was this. Maybe we keep arresting him, convicting him. We can up that level every time. More serious. And we can knock him down for longer. Are you this last? This, are you talking about the recent time where you were in for a weekend? Is that oh, no, where, no, no, no. You're talking before that. Yeah. So yeah, they held me yeah. in prison. Yeah, they held me in prison, and they moved the case from Preston to Liverpool. So I spent time in two prisons, both times, because they didn't want the case to be held in Preston, where the family court happened, and where I'd be talking about judges. So representing yourself in prison was also supposed to be good for them because I was locked down, couldn't speak to anyone and this time when I got arrested the one you're talking about was very different mm. because I was able to speak to people before I got arrested and it was I believe the fact that so many people were calling the, the police station and um, making them understand that no you can't destroy him in prison for a trumped up charge so it was great and I really thank the people for that and you as well yeah. I thank you as well so yeah, well, I'm just so grateful that you were able to get a message over um, before, you know, before they, uh, well, I know we're stepping forward a bit now, I was going to say, before they uh, before they got you, you actually walked in there, but yeah. yet the scene that you've, that you've explained, it just says it all, really. They were like, they were on you, weren't you? Even though you were actually handing yourself in because you knew that that's what was happening. And that just shows you... Um, the, the manipulation really like they're, they're on you and uh, but you're like look I'm here I'm, I'm coming in what yeah because doing? they phoned me they couldn't find me they phoned me in the morning and um saying I saw the private number come up the same um we want to see you where are you I said well look, you know what do you want to see me about we just need to speak to you about something and um I said well I'll come to you to say no we'll, we'll, where are you we'll come and get you I said look I'm coming to see you 
So I took time. I got mentally prepared. I got a few messages out and then I went there. And when I was on the road, um, like two seconds away from going into the, to the road leading up to the police station, vans, and you know, that's when they apprehended me. And um, what was the word? Because we're on there, little radio devices talking about, we've, we've got him, we've subdued him, that's the one. We've subdued him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, but I wanted to, you know, you know I was going in there. That's why I'm on this little road, <laughs> uh, you know. So I wanted to dramatise it, the whole thing. Mm. And maybe trigger, and maybe trigger me, yeah? Because, oh, because that's that. usually what would happen, you know? Yeah. And, it's, and it is, it's so obvious to me, and I'm sure many other people, it's a means of breaking you down because there's so many emotions that could, could and would and usually probably do come out of that. Anger, get off me, no! That's exactly what they want. And you know what, Elevi, I love the fact that you didn't, not just then, but throughout the whole two days that you were there, you did not play in their game. No. And, uh, <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, you, you, you got out. And uh, you're right, I think uh, people ringing, like making it aware that they knew that you were there. Because that's what I thought is like, you know, they need to know that we know you're in there. Yeah, and the thing is, I didn't know people ringing until after I got out. So that was, um, it, re it was really eye-opening to look back and reassess what was happening to me in there with what was happening outside. And there was a lot of issues because when the, I first went in, they were very nice to me and they were saying, oh, let's see if we can get you to court today. You know, let's get it over with. Let's see if we can get you there today. And I was engaging with them not at all. Because that's what I said when I was able to prepare myself and not be taken, but just walk in there. I said, I'm not going to engage with them in the least. I'm not saying a word to them. They're investigators. They should have a case. So I'm not going to say my name. I didn't, when I went, I didn't take anything with me so that they could have stuff to do with me. Because as I say, I've been through the process before. Everything you own gets taken off you. You know, you don't see it for... I thought I was going to go back to prison because... They've done it to me twice, and this seemed to be the method. I thought I was expecting it, you know. So when it didn't go that way, I was thinking, wait a minute. And then when I went to court and they didn't remind me, I'm thinking, okay, okay. <laughs> Is this what you do? You let me go? I was thinking, okay, no problem. And I can go back to stay at my place where I'm, where I'm at. Okay. I just thought, well, You've, you've handed me a, a gem, a court case where I can bring the evidence to annihilate you and show your corruption. Mm -hmm. You're really going to do that? Okay. I love it. Well, this is, this is testament, really. So far, what we've spoken about is that we haven't talked much about your children, have we? No. One of the things to do with my children is this. Um, I don't know much about my children as they are now. For instance, it was both their birthdays a little while ago, and I've sent some stuff to my children. But it's very difficult because there's a lot less emotion in sending those things to my children. Because one, it's not really what I would give them a card with a, 
with a um, a gift card with some cash on it. I wouldn't really do that for them, you know, if I was in their life. So it's a bit of an exercise. I wouldn't be getting it recorded delivery and sending it to a solicitor in the hope that it might get to them. Don't even know if it will. So it's an experience that I just do because, you know, I don't know if I wanted to buy them presents in terms of, say I wanted to buy them some clothing. I haven't got a clue what size they are now. Wouldn't know. Don't know what they're into. If I wanted to buy them a gift that I know, you know, that would they would like. I haven't got a clue. Don't know what my son's into. Last time I know, he was into, what is it? Um, something patrol? Snow patrol or something? I don't know. Paw patrol? Paw patrol, yeah. maybe? I don't know. Got a little dog in it. Got a little police thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paw Patrol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. So that's what he was into then. I can't really use that. I can't really send him that now, so I haven't got a clue. How old is he now? He's 11 now. And my and, little girl is 13. And it, it just, I know I keep saying it breaks my heart because that's the blooming truth. It does. And uh, I just, I know how important it is for a young boy, especially at this age, mm -hmm. needs their father. Yeah. You know, their father figure is really important. And fair enough, you know, there are reasons why that can't be the case. I can get that, but the, and I say this a lot, stuff that's got in the way of, of you seeing your son and all that we've spoken about. Now, People watching or listening to this, you've got your Elevi Truth TV channel, internet channel. I really do recommend people go there because all the details are in there. And some of those videos are what this system, they don't like, they don't want them out there because you have highlighted the truth. Let's move on now, Elevi. What is going on? What is going to happen? I know that there's a, recent events so what's what's going on now because um you're not you're not you're not taking this lying down and i'm so so pleased about that again it's just another length of time without seeing your children and obviously the longer that goes on the i wouldn't say harder it's going to be but it is going to be the longer this goes on the harder it is for you as a father and those children it is for you to kind of get that back. So I'm incredibly sad about that. And I'm so, so sorry, but you are not taking this lying down. No. Things are moving forward. They are, I think, and I'm pleased about this. I think they want, th th they kind of want you out of the way, but you're not going anywhere. No. Yeah. I want to know, I want you to share what's going on. And I know you've got, a, um, you know, you've, you've put things in place. Uh, I was going to say the word there, but I'll let you, I'll let you uh, talk about as much as you want to say. But I know that you're not taking this line down and things are happening. You're fighting. And I want as many people uh, with you on your side as possible for that. First of all, the reason I can fight in this way is because I've taken my children out of the scenario of the family courts. The family court isn't the scenario where I'm going to get my children back. But over a period of time, I've had signs and wonders to do with my children. For instance, there was a time when I was playing music in Preston, and a whole group of children, maybe about eight to ten of them, came riding up on bikes shouting my name. And um, they were like, are you, 
my daughter's dad. No, my friend's. I can't say a name again. I'm so sad for you no. on that, that you can't even so, blooming speak your name, their names. If I were you, when the camera's not on, I, I hope you're sh shouting their names. For, for, <laughs> I really do, because I think it's just, obviously, I only ever really see you on your channel and talking, and obviously you've just got this blooming tape over your mouth. So, yeah, it saddens me. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, yeah. It, those things were hard, but not anymore. Because when I get little symbols like this, like the children coming to me and enjoying my music and stuff like this, they've been sent by my children. The children wouldn't know me if it wasn't for my children. And I know that my children are seeing what I'm doing. So I believe that they're getting closer and closer to me. The fact that the mother and the system has used certain things lately to try to further criminalise me if I was to speak to them. It's not worked, and that's a reflection of the effect that I've had on the system. Now, where I'm at now, so that's why I've got my children in a kind of special area within my soul that radiates love, and it also feeds me with love because I'm able to focus on just the love between me and my children, and it's not within a court context, and it's not within the mother of my children context. It's very pure because I know that they're growing away from her now, I know that they're bringing themselves into their own identity. And I also know this, that my son and my daughter will see the personality that I am. If they're repelled by it, then sadly, I'm being myself, so it would hurt. But I won't hurt that much because I'm telling my truth. And I believe that if they're repelled by it, sooner or later, they'd understand it. But I'd much rather, and this is what I believe, that the minute I see them, the love will flow again. So, in terms of boxing, they like to put together trilogies, you know, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, they fought twice and there's going to be a third one. It's a trilogy. They like to do films in trilogies. And this is a trilogy for me, in a sense, because they sent me to prison twice. I fought to represent myself from a prison. It, it was intense and it was um, challenging, but I did it. Now... I'm representing myself from here. Laptops, this, that, everything. A little bit of music, yeah? You've got to have the music. You've got to have the music, mate. A little bit of music as well. <laughs> you know, not just hearing people screaming in other cells. None of that. So, I'm able to look at this trilogy, this final part in, a, in, a, in, in three attacks that they've made on me. I'm able to turn it around on them. So they're going to be putting me on trial on the 7th of December, 2021, which is an unheard of amount of time. And recently I've got some promotional material together because I'm doing this as if it was a club event or a festival or a protest. You, you decide what it is. They think it's a trial and it's a trial for me too, but I'm putting them on trial. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's not gonna be nice for them because I'm not shying away from it. I'm gonna put their system on, on, on trial. Now, in recent events, I've had a court date and they sent me to one court building in one city and then they had the hearing in another one and they threw my case out and then their lies fell to pieces when I challenged them because they said somebody had turned up in the court 
who was supposed to be me then had left. And that's why they went ahead with the case. I requested CCTV. I was told the person signed in. I requested that and I reported it to the police. And the police to date have come and taken a statement, but I reported it, I have the log number. And I'm using this in my defense to show, because when they did that, on that day when I was supposed to go to court, was when I went into the city center and spoke to the people about the corruption. And in that video, I did say my children's names and I did mention two judges. So that's what I've finally been charged with, although the charges for this last arrest have changed four times so far. So that's what you're going to be standing up in court for on the 7th of December 2021? That's right, yeah. Crown Court, Preston. And what about the videos? Because you've well, got some evidence in those videos. Are you able to mention those videos or is that because let me tell you this i want to give you an exclusive i said i was going to give you an you did yeah did. <laughs> i'm so glad I'm, you remembered that <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to send a message to them and i'm going to send a message to everyone of who they're dealing with yeah and i'm going to give them a golden nugget you see when they lied about sending being in one court and another court, and they tried to kick the case out. Um, on one level, I was a little bit bothered because they were messing me about. But on the other level, it just fed into my, my plan. Because when you do corrupt things, you have to answer to them when, when I'm dealing with you, court lot. Mm -hmm. When I'm dealing with your system, you have to answer what you say to me. So when you say a man turned up who was pretending to be me in your court, yeah, then you're gonna have to answer for that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I put it back on them. I reported it to the police, and for some reason, they're not—they're not—they're um, not interested in investigating the fact that somebody's passing themselves off in a government building as somebody else to fool a judge. For I don't know what reason, you know, because if you do a bit of digging, you'll find that the judge was lying. So when I started pushing, they decided that they weren't going to throw the case out. After all, they were going to have a hearing, and they're setting up a hearing for the family court case. And when I went in. <clears throat> they were checking me a lot, phones off, kept telling me, because obviously they know who I am and what I do, and how I use the evidence against them. And then the judge finally came in, Judge Brown, she came in, and um, first thing she did was explain herself away, explain why, why um, it had happened, why they'd gone to one court and you went to another. And she said, in my 16 years, it's never happened. And I asked her, what, I said, in, in, in the time that I've been going to court, I've never signed in. But this person signed in, you said. And she said to me, oh, um, it's a legal term. I didn't mean actually signing. It's just a term we use. And I said, well, a Margaret Gretton from your staff said that the person pretending to me actually did sign in. And she was like, oh, well, there's the exclusive. When the judge came in, after so many people telling me that um, I'm not to record on his my phone off, the judge also reiterated that from a high place. And she said, it is a criminal offence to record. Now, they were talking to everyone in the court, but they were really talking to me. 
my exclusive is this. They believe my phone was off. Well, my phone was on. Now they can arrest me if they want. But the reason I'm giving this exclusive is this. Even in that time, when I recorded the new judge in the case, she implicated herself in the corruption. Why? Because the videos that they're not prosecuting from me, me for do have evidence in them. And I had served the evidence on Judge Brown. Oh, I said a name. I served the evidence. And she denied seeing it. She said that if she hasn't looked at it, because it might bias her, her view of the case. So who's got the evidence then? She said that other staff had seen the evidence, but she mm. hadn't. Is that how your system works? Staff, your staff can withhold evidence from you that's pertinent to the case. Or is it you don't want to see that evidence because it implicates one of your fellow judges mm -hmm. in high-level corruption? Now, giving you this exclusive, saying that I've recorded family court proceedings once again, this is justification or um, rationale for them to come and arrest me one more time. But you see, the, the more they dig and the more they throw dirt at me, the more I will relieve, relieve, re reveal the dirt I have on them. Mm -hmm. So, Judge Brown is most probably worried because she thinks now that I was very nice to this man and he has gone and recorded me, showing me to be corrupt as, as them. But here's what it is. It's a court of record that I'm making. It's a legal entity. You're able to record court proceedings and have a record. And for some reason, you will never release those records to me. So as an independent sovereign, I'm recording. And due to your corruption and what you've done on the previous hearing, on the face of it, that's a legal term I like to use now because it's one of their legal terms. On the face of it, it appears that you are involved in corruption also, Judge Brown. So that's why I made the recording. And I believe that the recording may stand up in court. Oh my goodness, Alavai. It's such a shame that we've got to wait so long. And yeah, it's such a shame, but also I, and I'm sure many other people do as well, when you, especially when they watch the videos, your videos, which really do go in depth, I thank you for that, for, for doing what you're doing with everything else going well, the fact that you're not seeing your children. But I, I'm quite worried about you, if I'm honest, because there's, there's, there's things you hear, you know, about, you know, when people are, that you know, they're, they're pushing and pushing. And it, it's kind of plainly obvious that they kind of want you gone. They want you out of the way. Yeah. Um. Can I just say something? You were talking earlier about love for your children. Yeah. And you know, I do the angels on this, right? And, and I, I don't just do the angels like, like, you know, right. I do the angels when I feel to do the angels. 
And at that, I'd already shuffled them. I hadn't mentioned it to you, but I always shuffle the cards. Usually when I'm just listening to my guest talking, that's when I feel a need to pick them up and just shuffle them and hold them. And then I put them down. And when it feels like the right time, that's when I will cut them three times. Now, the first card, and this is just beautiful, okay? This is just so beautiful. The first card was Essence of Love. Really? Yeah. The second card was Glory. That is a very high realm, very, very, very positive card. It's in the same realm of being and power. You've got being, power and glory. It's a beautiful, beautiful card. It's a very, po they're all positive cards, but this is like the creme de la creme. <laughs> and then the third card was eternal love. Wow. So we've got the essence of love, glory and eternal love. Now, I felt to cut these cards when you were talking about the love for your children about 15 minutes ago. But I always, I always turn the pack of cards over. You've, you've, you've seen my thing, so you know that I do this. I always turn my cards over because the bottom of the card, the bump card, for me, is the overall. You know what that was? Faith. That was faith. Yeah, oh, that's, good. that's a good. <laughs> that's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know what? When you hear stories like yours, Elevi, and also a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, you know, it um, it's a it's a beautiful thing to have hope. And these angels really help me support that and and keep that hope going. And to get a reading like that after listening to you and hearing the fight that you've got on your hands for your children to see your children this started off by you going to the family court system which you thought you could trust going in there you thought it would be a month or so before you could get this all sorted six years later you've been sent to prison twice you've been put away for a weekend and you've still not seen your children and they're now what, 11 and 13 years old? Yeah. Faith. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what, can, what can people do to help you? Um, let's 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 do some let's take some action in some way there's a there's a campaign going on come on let's let's what can we do i'm doing my bit this is going to go out there hopefully um if far and wide and i'm going to really really try and you know um get this out as much as i can what what can what can we do what can people do i've got to say this people have already um you know yourself other people have already done a lot and um what you've all done is 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 really um, powerful because it helps me to do what i'm doing so in a sense um it's not really about what people can do to help me it's what i can do to help them okay and, can, and to say thank you as well what i can do to help people who have been um abused damaged by the system is i can give you an opportunity yeah 
to fight back at the system. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I love that's that. I'm fighting the system, and I can give you an opportunity to fight them too. And we can do it together. You see, because my case, yeah, um, now I'm a very powerful person against the system now. They fear me. But here's why they really fear me. It's because for some reason, I've been able to get an affinity with the people. They don't think I'm anything. They think I'm nothing. And I am, I am nothing without the people because it's the people that have made, kept me out of prison. It's the people that have helped heal me. It's those little children that have come up to me and given me a message from my, ch from my children. It's all these things, it's all the people. So one of the things I think about many people who have been hurt by the system is that they are scared to speak out, to fight back. And I'm not scared. And I will promise you, I promise everybody, whether you be a father or mother, if you're truly wanting to protect the children and do something for the children, then join with me and, and fight the system. Because we're only here for a very short time, most of us adults, in terms of how long the children are going to be here. And the children are going to be here and they're going to reap the rewards of what we do or they're going to suffer the consequences of what we do. So I'm like an opportunity for you. Um, I've not chosen anything that's happened to me, but I've, I've used everything that's happened to me. So I didn't choose to get arrested. I thought I would be, and I didn't choose to go to court. But because they're bringing a war to me, I'm going to fight it as a victor, you know, in a, in a way that I've already won it. But the only way I can truly win it is with the people, because I'm not, I don't want supporters in that sense. I want comrades because here's the thing. It's not just my fight, you know. It's not me just having a fight and people are spectators and then they're supporting me in that fight. It's other people who have suffered as well. Yeah. You know, so it's not my fight, it's your fight, it's our yeah. fight. Yeah. You know, if you've had your children taken, you know, they're going to try and prosecute me for saying my children's names. But what are they doing to your children? What are they not allowing, you know, they're breaking a relationship with your children too. Yeah. And this, this date that they've given me in December, I don't want it to be like any other court case. And it already isn't because I've done promotional pictures and I've sent them to the courts and I've sent them to barristers, I've sent them to other people. And they're going to be thinking, what is this guy doing? What is this? I'm exposing everything that you do, you know. If you don't want me to record in your court and you're telling me it's a criminal activity, then don't do criminal stuff that I have to record. Mm -hmm. You're putting me in a, mm -hmm. a petition. <laughs> don't do some dodgy stuff <laughs> if you don't want me to record it. I leave my, I apply yourself to justice and I leave my device at home. So, yeah. I don't want people to think that I'm looking for them to support me. I want, I want um, the people to really feel what's happened to them in their lives at the, at the hands of the system, yeah, and just join me in kicking the door in and making them, making them accountable for their corruption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I love the way yeah, um, you've sort of reframed that. And it makes perfect sense to have people coming up because, and I think as well, and um, well, we know there's so many, there's so many people out there and it's not just fathers. 
it's families. I touched on fostering. I touched on how I found out some awful situation from the, the episode of fostering. There's so many people that would, um, if they knew what you were fighting would be behind you. And yeah, we've, it's got to, something has got to give. It has to, it can't carry on like this. No. And I'm so grateful to you for, for like lead, leading this fight, if you like, and uh, carrying on doing what you're doing. You're, you're working really hard. You're putting videos out there. And obviously within this, um, whether YouTube or on the podcast link, your links will be there. But say out loud as well how people can find you, LFI. I'm on Facebook a lot. I'm on um, Instagram, YouTube. LFI Truth TV is my YouTube channel. Um, I have another music channel, but this is about the... Um, well, no, I'm just going to say something about the music because it's important in terms of um, healing and survival and the fight. Because when I was locked in prison, I'm going to tell you this, they, they arrested me the second time. I was outperforming. So they arrested me with um, all my equipment and then it was taken away from me. Um, I said that I, was, I didn't fight the system much when I was in prison the second time. This is true to a degree, but there was a point where I did fight the system and then they shipped me out and saying that I was going to start a riot. Now, yeah, everything was nice. I had my own meals, you know, my, my special dietary needs. I was doing stuff, going to the gym, getting involved with classes. In that sense, trying to make use of my time, not fighting the system for every wrong thing they're doing and making complaints about this. No, I was just doing my thing, like a training camp. But then I got an abscess and I was begging for medication. Now up, this, up, up to this point, I'd always thought to myself, if I was to say certain things to these prisoners, they'd mostly say, oh, get back to your cell, you know, speaking to um, prisoners who, um, hardened prisoners and, you know, I haven't got time for political talk and this and that. So up to this point, I thought, you know, they wouldn't even listen to me if I told them about their human rights. So I've got this abscess, it's gone on for about a week, I'm begging for medication, and at one point, because of the severe pain, I kick off a bit in the cell, um, banging the door to get, to get attention and get medication. Um, and then one of the um, prison officers came and started using this situation to berate me, and, um, but not give me the medication I wanted. And then he went away and said, okay, we're gonna come back in a bit, and I'll be back. So I was in this position and as the door opened, I turned and I looked and I saw a whole line of screws, please, um, prison officers lined up outside the door. I knew that they'd come to do me in. Because what they do when they're doing that is they hide their keys, they hold their keys so you can't hear them. Because keys are something that you just have a, a, a Peter Parker type Spider-Man um, alert for keys in prison you know when you hear them it's like keys when they open the door is it you know where's it going and they're, they're always jangling you know and they're a bit like a badge of honor the one with the keys right okay yeah yeah, so, yeah. so when they're coming to do you in any cell or whatever they'll hold the keys so you can't hear them piling up outside the door and it was basically because i was in that position that I was able to see 
them outside the door and not react in the way the most probably wanted me to react, which was how I was just a few bit before with the other one, you know, kicking off to get the medication. He's gone away. He's got his people expecting me to react again so they could go for me. And just that sight of it was able for me to step back from the situation and basically save myself because we're getting ready. Um, my point in saying this is that those incidents and prison and stuff like that has, has helped me to see how the system works, how it's designed to break you, destroy you for basically speaking out. And um, that's not going to happen anymore. I'm going to use the system's own methods to highlight. And I used a line in the promotion stuff for the thing I said, if the system cannot bend, it will break. And this is true, it will. I won't break. People, people are saying to me a lot, um, you can't beat the system when you're inside, you can't do this, and it's a statement we all hear. I don't believe it to be true. Yeah, because the system has made me unbreakable now. So there's only one thing it can do, it can either kill me, or it's going to have to change or bend or... I'm not the one who's going to break. I love that. I love that. And when you're talking about prison um, and the system and what they do, the uh, visualising there, the lining up, it just it crosses through my heart and my mind, like how many more people, men, Black men, okay, yeah, the white men as well, obviously men, but a lot of black men are or have been. It's so easy, isn't it? You're out of the way. Yeah. Can I say something? Because I, I forgot my point. Yeah. <laughs> because of this abscess, I'm sorry, I did forget my point. Because of the abscess and the pain that was growing, after that, I was in the library and my spirit just said to speak to the people. And as soon as I started speaking to the prisoners, my concept that they wouldn't have um, listened to me was wrong. They just all went silent and they started listening. And as soon as I started speaking, there was a, a prison warden who shouted my name and told me to show up. And it made me carry on speaking. And the people, this was in the library, they started to get volatile. Yeah, the prisoners saying, yeah. And then, um, I was basically speaking about the human rights in the prison. Um, it's important that I tell you this story. The human rights in the prison is horrendous. For a system in this, um, in this day and age. Now, a lot of people might think that prisoners are supposed to suffer because they've done horrible things. Now, there's a lot of pr prisoners in prison that have done horrible things and I would like them to suffer too. But you see, back in the day when they used to have the asylums, the asylum used to be a system where they'd throw anybody in there. If you was mentally ill, if you was a rapist, if you was a vagrant, they'd throw you in the asylum, anyone. And then it got split up into hospitals, education, prisons, and so forth. But those prisons are now becoming more like asylums of the you know, Victorian times and that. In the sense that you have a handful of criminals who are 
born into like criminal families and and this is something to do with society or people a lot of people turn to criminal activity because of their social economic situation then you've got the criminals that are not there for profit such as your pedophiles and so forth different category of prisoner and then you've got people like our classes vulnerable people mentally ill people um, drug addicted people um, homeless people now while I was in prison the second time, I heard the legendary talk of a person called Cecil. And they used to be saying, Cecil's gone under again. Now, going under is a term used for the effects of spice, a psychoactive drug. Mm. Um, very prevalent in, in prisons. Is that, is, that, um, is that mambo? Is that spice, mambo? Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, um, it's, it's easy to get into prison because you can just spray it on a piece of paper. So wow. again, I'm going to show you how the system is corrupt now. A solicitor's letter is Rule 39. The prison system is not supposed to open letters. So a lot of spice comes in on, on um, paper. But it also gives the prison the opportunity to open your mail, which is a violation of your human rights. And, um, but that's another issue, but it ties into what I'm saying. Um, so this young person called Cecil became kind of legendary. I kept hearing this term. Now going under is where you take a lot of spice to see if you'll live, basically. So you can have convulsions, you can go, you know, it's man down, it's a man down challenge. You're supposed to be surviving the man down challenge. That's what it's called. So people will give you some to test it or to see if it, you know, it's fun. That's what it's like in prison. It's a fun thing to see in terms of the prison mentality. Okay. Wow. So anyway, after a while of hearing about this guy, I was in the library again and I actually finally saw him. And he was a guy who was, um, you know, when you see, um, Put it this way, that term where you say the lights were on but there's no one home. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, there was, there was nothing in this person really. You could tell he, he was just walking from one person to the next person asking for vapes or whatever. And he was like, um, like a zombie basically. And um, young guy and my heart was broken when I saw him because he came up to me and I said to him, um, uh, why do you let them do this to you? Why do you let them give you the spice just to see if you're going to die? And he, he didn't get it. He didn't, it didn't register with him. Now, he was a young black individual and um, I dug into his story a bit. Now, he has mental illness and he's on the outside doing petty crimes in order to be put into prison, in order for people to give him spice. Can't get it on the outside. And that's his life. Now he's a mentally ill person. Now I wrote to the politicians when I was in there, I wrote to the MP and told them about the situation that many people, even prison officers, will watch this guy take the substance and convulse on the courtyard and have to have ambulances coming from him, this kind of thing. I said, it's people that are trying to kill this person and you have a um, duty of care. 
Do you think writing from my cell in prison that the politician who was there at the time paid any attention to it? I got the letters, but they didn't do anything. Because again, in the prison system, now in terms of Cecil, he will have sat in front of a solicitor at the police station, he'll have a barrister, the police will see him, maybe workers in the police station, nurses and all that will see him. But nobody's saying that this person is mentally ill and he doesn't need to be going to a prison. And the judge will see him because he can't even put a sentence together, string a sentence together now. He's no threat to society. He's more a threat to himself and he's a vulnerable person. And all these devils, sorry, all these solicitors and barristers and police people that see him in the process, they never, they never have an um, a ounce of empathy and compassion and say, well, wait a minute, this is not a criminal. Let's see if we get some services involved for him. No, because he's going through the system and he's making money from me. And he's been on, we've had a call to the station three times in six months for this one. So he's in and out of prison. So he's making us a lot of money. Oh. So yeah, that's what the system is. Yeah. You, you can't have a crisis in the prison system and not have a crisis in all other systems. And, you know, and that's why the NHS is suffering. That's why all these systems are suffering. But the prison system is important because you've got a school, the prison pipeline. Yeah. And it's prevalent within the black community, but it's not determined by race because if you go to areas like Blackpool and other deprived areas about the country, you'll see that white people are suffering in the same way. They're being fed into this prison system, you know? And um, it's a business. These are private companies, these prisons, it's been farmed out. Mm. I want to digress for a second and say that the solicitor, the new solicitor for the mother of my children got in touch. And um, I did some digging because she got legal aid again. And I thought, well, wait a minute, how can she have legal aid if I've proven that her allegations were false? So I got onto the legal aid agency and told them, because I'd previously sent them information of their false allegations and they didn't want to open the case again for obvious reasons. So this time I said well how has she been able to get legal aid again? And they didn't really answer, they just said for data purposes everything's in order. It's all turned out that the solicitors that she's found have franchised legal aid services from the government so they can provide legal aid um, in the same way that you franchise a fast food company, you know. So they're acting like a government body, but they're actually a solicitor. They don't need to go to the legal aid agency to prove domestic abuse now. They can just write their own ticket in their office. Wow. Okay. And it's very interesting that the system would operate like that. Yeah and think that that is um, a functional way to operate and adjust. Will that, will that system lead to justice or will it lead to corruption and abuse it? 
I'm just trying to get my head around it. Um, so, because prior to that, you're able you're able to get um, legal legal aid if there was some kind of allegation of domestic violence or something that they yeah. So, what? How's 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 this changing the things then? What's? I'm sorry, my head can't get my head can't get around it. To be able to get um, both parties used to be able to get legal aid um, for family cases, but once that was abolished, the only reason you'd get it if it is if there was domestic abuse, child abuse, or I think kidnapping or something. You know, a few serious areas where they say, okay, you need legal aid. But once one person gets that legal aid based on the um, domestic abuse scenario, the other person's not going to get. Right. Uh, yeah, so again, that structure is wrong within this family court system, but it's functional for them. And also, um, being in the criminal system, which I'm going to be facing again, I know it works and I know, know that it's very corrupt, but there is one principle that um, saves it in a sense. Uh, is the jury because they're fucking partial people. Now, obviously, they do attempt to manipulate juries. They do attempt to put, you know, people on juries, influence decisions. This is well known, but the fact is we still have the idea and in principle it's a good one. If he was having juries within the family court system, it would improve the system, but however, can't happen because you want to keep it corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, they're saying it's to keep it safe, but actually it's to keep it corrupt. I mean, on that note, you are representing yourself. At the moment, because of the what happened in the police station, I've actually got a solicitor. But again, this is an exclusive those solicitors were always going to be sacked at some point because I'm not having them represent me in court. But here's a reason why they deserve to be sacked. Now, before I went to plead my innocence um, last week, um, I wrote an affidavit. And for people that don't know, an affidavit is a, and I did sworn under oath. So remember when we said about taking oaths? I go to a solicitor or a commissioner of oaths and um, I swear on the Bible that everything I've written in that affidavit is true. Now, if it's not true, and they can prove it not to be true, I can go to prison for seven years for writing that because it's the same as if, as if I was in a courtroom taking an oath. Yeah? And I told the solicitor who's supposed to be representing me at the moment to serve this on the court and the CPS before I went to plead. And when I went the next day, and the barrister was there and I said, have you served my affidavit? They said, no. Now this is wrong in itself because when I instruct the solicitor who's supposed to be representing me, they're supposed to do what I say. But they don't want this evidence going in. The barrister said to me, oh, we don't need to put that in now. We might not need it. Well, you're going to need it. Because I've once again opened up a can of worms for them. I've put the evidence that I'm going to use in the, in the court. And I wanted to do it early so that they'd be sweating for a long time, you know. There's a, sorry, carry on. There's something else that I, I, before we finish, I've got to mention, as, I've got to ask you as well, but yeah. Just the fact that the solicitor 
doesn't want to put that affidavit in. It shows also that the sister isn't working for me. They're working for them. Yeah. 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 Um, something we haven't spoken about. Um, you've, you've mentioned how the so-called expert uh, claim that you had, um, was it narcissist? Narcissistic uh, disorder and uh, paranoid personality disorder. You went uh, after that to go and get your... You, to, 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 Explain what you did after that, because you wanted to find out if if this was if this was true. I mean, yeah. Tell us what happened there, because I'm keen to okay, find out what the evidence you, you got. What's happening with that evidence there? Yeah, when I when I got the report through and I read it, yeah, it broke me because it was just I was just reading stuff like I've got this wrong with me, I've got that wrong with me. I've never had paternal bond, so I'm unable to make relationships and all this kind of thing. And I'm thinking. You're telling me I don't have a parental, uh, parental bond and my mother isn't in my life. But my mother's in my life all the time, speak to her all the time. She might not be in the same country, but I was raised by my mother. And you're telling me that I didn't have a mother, basically. <laughs> so it told me this stuff and it said that I had to get schema therapy in order to fix the mental disorders that I had. And it would take about 26 months to even be effective. So I was in a point, you know, in the process where I'm thinking, I'll do whatever it takes. I didn't know, I believed that I didn't have these issues, but then there was a part of me saying, well, if I have got the issues, at least I go and see somebody, they'll be able to sort it out. So I started doing the sessions, we recorded the sessions, and as it got to about the fourth session, she was saying, well, she had to see the, 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 the report as a condition of her treatment. So kind of more or less straight away, she did a kind of test to start off. She was saying that the tests that she's doing doesn't seem to correlate with the report. And then she left it. But about the fourth session in, she was saying, you don't really to be, appear to be appearing like a person with these disorders. But because I'd gone there, not to just say, okay, tell me I haven't got it. I kept going through the process. And by the ninth time now, after repeating, you know, she said, it's my clinical opinion that you do not have these issues. So I went running back to the court and said, look, here's a hit, boom, there's your thing, I haven't got it. And I thought we we're gonna say, okay, let's, let's bring your, your children are waiting outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here all the time, open it up, balloons fall down like that. <laughs> And I'm back with them. No. They said to me, we can't have you bringing the evidence in like that without the experts saying it's okay. You've got a relationship. So go back and get her, her um, agreement, her permission to use the recordings and you get her to say that in her clinical opinion, I don't have them. I went back, made the call. The next day, back in court, because this was when the four, the final four-day hearing was going on. Um, came back thinking, you know, they're going to hold everything now. The judge originally had said, "Well, if she's saying this, if the, we've got to listen to this." But the next day, when I came back, they said that they brought some case law and said it's um, wrong to. Pick one expert against another. 
And I remember saying to the judge, judge What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to block the evidence anyway. Um, and I remember saying to the judge, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to stay with a doctor for 26 months? Weekly. I was paying 100 times a session to go for an hour. You want me to do that weekly for 26 months when the doctor I'm with says that I've not got the issue that she's supposed to be coming with? Or do you want me to go and find another doctor who says that I do have it and then stay with them and go with them? The doctors, the judge said, no, stay with the, stay with the doctor you've got now and just keep going. So I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but again, so they, they've almost like given you permission to stay with the doctor that's saying that you're, you've not got these things, but at the same time, they're not prepared to use the evidence from the doctor that they've actually said that you should stay with. Yeah. Right. But this evidence, is this, is this able to come out when you go, um, when it goes to court? You see, the thing is, when they put that order, I'll answer that, sorry, but when they put this, this uh, when they said I needed to go and see a doctor, and get the treatment. They weren't really expecting me to just get a doctor, see, get one, you know, and get on with it and start doing it to say, okay, you know, let's sort, if I've got it, let's sort it. If I haven't, over. They weren't expecting that to happen. The most probably thought I was gonna apply to the NHS, be waiting around for years and after. So all the time they were trying to put issues in place why that therapy was wrong or, you know, um, but again, it's because they already had a plan. These are just things they use to keep you out of your children's life. Mm. There's no, and they don't want a real expert to come into the court and challenge because again, that would show what they're really doing. You know, I wasn't an expert on reports, but like I said, it was, I was shell shocked when I first read it and it took me a time to, you know, just read it. Cause it's like, it's like somebody's digging at your character when you're reading it. No, mm. and then they'll take things that you've said to them and they'll twist it and think wow who, who would have known who would have seen that you know um so it took me a time to read it but as i you know started to read it in a more objective way i started noticing a pattern in there like sometimes it would be talking about me directly and then it would read differently as if it was just talking in general terms about anyone and um, those sections seem like they've been written by a different kind of hand. Mm -hmm. I did some Google cut and paste, threw some bits of it into Google, and lo and behold, other reports came up that weren't hers. Um, other people's work that she'd been plagiarizing. And again, I challenged her in court, and the judge protected her, yeah. protected the evidence that I had. So. Again, you've got that. You've got that recorded, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Damning evidence for a judge. Damning evidence for a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think this piece that you've just spoken about there. This is why I can imagine there's a lot of people, men and women, that have almost given up at that point where they've they've sort of thought, oh, they've put this on me. They've taught. They've 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 got an expert in that said I've got these issues. I can't, I can't go any further. And your testament that actually, yeah, you can. And hopefully hearing you and knowing your actions 
and knowing that you're you 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 know you're you're you're, you're here and people yeah. can get in touch with you and know more it's like don't give up because no, one thing about the psychologist as well is this not only can people know that um you can do something if you've got a report that is incorrect but what's more is don't turn yourself over to those people there was no reason why i should have agreed to do that assessment if the mother of my children wasn't being assessed assessed to and if it was an independent person who was doing the assessments there's nothing wrong with that because you're getting some kind of um, equality and some independence but I would like people to know that you you don't have to say yes to those things believing that it's going to bring you close to your children because you may end up in a situation where it works totally against you and in fact it has I've heard the stories but because you're a, a naive parent you don't know the 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 pitfalls, the ramifications of agreeing to something that has already been predetermined. Well, you're going, al you're going along with everything to, 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 because you're hoping to get your children back. So if they make these suggestions, then you, and you're not understanding of, of the system as you've very well explained it in this, in this discussion, then of course you're going to say yeah, because yeah. you want, to see your children. Yeah. Well, you can't win either way. If you were to say no to those kind of um, requests in the court, then they put it forward as if you're hiding something or you're not cooperating with the process. But so what you can, can do is say, I can get, but you could say, I'm going to go independently and get that. that that's your right to, if they've suggested it, rather than rock the boat on that side, you could actually say, okay, thank you. I'm going to go and get that elsewhere and bring the report in, you've, you've got the power to do that. And if you've got the um, financial... Well, yeah. Yeah. In terms of if you had a legal team or if you was um, financially able to do that, then yeah, you can. So that's a good position to be in, I guess, yeah. Maybe that's where the franchising legal aid thing you were talking about could come in handy, maybe? Well, here's the thing. Um, there are abuse victims and the system is obviously going to help some people. But it's not about the system helping people and justifying a system like that. Because I'm sure um, Jimmy Savile helped some people. Yeah. Jimmy Savile have a lot of people happy with the, what he did for them. Jim will fix it and so forth. He helps a lot of people. It's not about that. It's about what the system's able to facilitate. So if there's good people or if the system's helping some people, why, don't I, why not have a system that can, can help people but also cannot be abused in the way it is being abused? Because mm. abuse has a ripple effect and, and goes on. These barristers and solicitors most probably consciously can't accept that they're destroying families. Or they don't want to really look at that. But that's what they're doing. And just because you're not listening to your conscience or you don't have a conscience, it doesn't change the fact that there is um, a principle called what is right and wrong. And the reason I say this is because a couple of days ago, somebody on Facebook sent me this principle, and it is a principle in law. The natural understanding 
of what is right and wrong, natural justice, and it's missing from the court system because you can say it's legally right to stop me saying my children's name. I'm sure people would understand what is naturally right in that situation. Mm -hmm. A natural right to do that. And then legally, somebody shouldn't be able to interfere with that natural right, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like the family courts, the social services, the care, the the social care should have the most compassionate people and systems in place. It should be like exceeding compassion. You know, that is the number one thing. It's all about, and I just see that it's on the ground. The, the stuff that I've, I've, I've learned and still continuing to research and learn through the help of you and, and other people now is just, it's the opposite end of the scale to that, which absolutely breaks my heart. And that's why I'm so really, really pleased that you're doing what you're doing. And I just hope that more people can know what you're doing so that they can also feel that actually there is hope. Actually, keep the faith. Because there's just too many people giving up, perhaps, well, for sure, on their children. Children will be giving up as well. Yeah. On their on their on, on their father or their mother or the, both parents, God forbid. Uh, I don't trust this system. As some also, there's some quite seedy stuff that I'm aware of that goes on within this system. We're not touched on that today, but when I when I talk about the compassion for children and I know certain things that go on as well, it it's uh, it's sickening which is another well, reason why I'm so pleased that you are actually standing up to this and you, you're getting stronger and stronger. I mean, I'm seeing you, obviously your videos on this, but also I think when you, when your eyes open, uh, your eyes are then open to everything else that's going on. So, you know, you, you are exposing the truth in, in other areas as well, because, and I'm, I'm really grateful to you for that because it's, uh, it stinks, absolutely stinks. You know, one, one video I should do for the future is the care system. You know, the care system. It's very interesting that we have a care system. And you can look at it in elderly people as well lately, you know, with the system that's been going on and how the elderly have been um, really, really treated badly, to say the least. But, you know, the children care system is a good example. If you were to trace the lives of many people who have been in the care system, it's not a pretty outcome for many, many people. And that should be an indication, you know, high levels of drug abuse, high level of um, sexual abuse, high level of suicides, um, all from the care system, high level of people imprisoned, all from the care system. Um, And again, if you're in the care system, you're a vulnerable person. But look, the outcomes, so many times we find um, paedophilia and stuff happening in care homes. Now, there's a reason for this stuff. And again, the system doesn't want to address this because it feeds the system. Yeah. The system. Yeah. Well, I, I would encourage you to do that. I, w- I would encourage you to do that because I know I know uh, your videos, and I think uh, you definitely should. I I kind of come from the care system in a way. My parents both fostered children. I've got a lot of heart in this area. 
um, a lot of my um, some of my siblings I call them my siblings because I grew up with them before they came to our house they were in care homes care homes that have now that, that it's all come out that actually there was some awful stuff going on in those places I remember going to them because we used to go and and uh, um, you know we you know there's a lot of children in our in our foster home and that come from those care homes so I feel quite close to this this area and also I'm working now with the homeless and a lot of the homeless are care leavers Definitely. yeah I'm hearing of stories of care leavers at the age of 60 I mean my mum and dad they never and they continue to never let go of any children that they had in their care. Um, uh, you know, they are um, always there, but there are, that's not the case at 16 or was it 18? I don't know, but they, they're gone, got no one and they're straight into a hostel. And there's some awful, you know, just back straight into this, a continuation of the system. Uh, you know, they're extremely vulnerable. There's no one there that really is there for them. Uh, but there are people that are there for them and they're not the right people no. and they're literally waiting for them. So, yeah. And it's, and it absolutely, uh, yeah, it needs to be uh, highlighted. Yeah. Elevi, we've spoken a lot. We've spoken for a long time. Is it a long time? <laughs> <or is it>? <laughs> <laughs> We've been speaking for a long time, um, but that's okay because we can split this up. We can work with it. It's fine. Uh, there's, there's bits, there's a bit, like, a bit over here, a bit over there, but it can all be put together. It's fine. Um, I'm seeing some really, really, um, there's some good trailers in this as well that I think will, will uh, attract people. Um, I have started sectioning um, you haven't seen it yet because I haven't put it out, but I have started sectioning the podcast now so people can go to certain areas if it's too long, do you know what I mean? Rather than listen to the whole thing, they can, like, oh, I'm interested in the family courts, I'm interested in this bit, so they can go straight to that. So is there anything else you want to say um, before we before we uh, finish? Not really. I think I've said a lot. Um, we've said a lot. So I'm happy with what's been said. I think it's given an overview of of the things that are happening. Um, one thing I would like to say, giving up is, giving up, giving up is only an option for people when they are still invested in the system because the system wants us to be broken and it wants us to be broken after having faith in the system. So it's kind of an essential two part play that in order to be broken, we must have faith in something. Similar to if you're in a relationship and one person was invested, the other person wasn't. Well, it's the person who is invested who is likely to get hurt more than the other person. The system is not invested in you, but you are invested in the system. And when you get your heart broken, it's a perfect thing for the system because now you have no energy to fight the system and you have no belief left. You have no um, fight left. So it's easy to give up at that point. But if you stop being invested in the system, not only can you fight it, but you can put your investment back into your children. And it's a, it's, um, it's a fallacy and a lie to think 
and I suffered from this fallacy in this life for a long time. It's a, it's, a, it's a lie to think that you cannot be close to your children simply because you're not with them physically. Because my children are more than the space that they occupy in their home now. My children are an idea, an image, a picture, an energy that changed my life, changed who I am. It had a massive effect on me being becoming a father and my children, the experiences are still within me. They're still here. And through um, investing in those feelings, thoughts, ideologies about your children, you are actually becoming closer to them. You are actually strengthening the bond. You know, um, there's a... There's a guy called Dr. Emoto, I think his name is, and he works with, with water and energy. And he, he talks about how putting good energy into these crystallized bits of water can um, shows in a very beautiful way the patterns that emerge. And conversely, the negative energy that is projected from a person into these areas will look dark and, and, and negative if the energy is negative. Um, and I know that might sound a bit hairy-fairy or mystical, but you must remember what builds us and what doesn't. And a feeling, an emotion, can build our resolve or it can destroy us. So when you're invested in your children in this emotional, spiritual, intellectual, mental way, it heals you for a start after the abuse that you've been through the family court. And again, most importantly, you have to make a mind shift from believing that you, the, self, the, the, the bond that you have with your children has been broken simply because of physical location. The bond cannot be broken. And it's for you to nurture, align yourself with that bond, yeah? Because it's the only thing that really matters in this system. And the children need you to be in that place they need you to be embodying yeah. the love that you have to be doing that in. yeah i totally um i totally believe in absolutely every single thing you've said there in fact it was only on yesterday's um little in, in, uh, interview that i was doing uh, around something else that we talked about those the crystals and uh, I was actually shown images of the ones that were with the likes of joy and love these were just words that were spoken and um, you know beautiful beautiful crystals the images and then the par opposite with the words like hate mm -hmm. and sick just a mess yeah. you, you kind of need to Go and see this for yourself. You, there's loads of stuff on 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 um, on the internet, and it is all about energy. I totally totally believe in what you're saying there, and it's hard because a lot of people are feeling anger, they're feeling pain, and and that's what that's what we're feeling. That is what our energy is. So if we can somehow try and believe in this. You know, even if you kind of don't believe in it, just change the way that you're feeling and project that out, project that, the loving feelings out towards your children. 
because uh, energetically it's going out there in my mind this is fact yeah i'm reading a book on it actually i just i can't think of the name now but um a lady um was speaking about just this and there's a book it's like emotional something or another because obviously science can't science stops when it comes to this science just stops yeah, 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 but does. this this book this scientist and I'll, I'll share it with you and i'm sure i'll have um i've got further in this book by the time i put this out there so i might I might share that here as well because that's come as like the proof that this is what you're saying there does work and i'm very um such an important message i'm really glad that you brought that in there because you do feel you can feel helpless but actually yeah. we are extremely powerful beings definitely and you know what i'll say to that as well is that we're very powerful in our broken states as well and the reason why I say this is, is for the reason of the um, system. Now, when we're talking about embodying energies, it's good to look at the negative side. Because when we think about when we are in hate, when we are in anger, when we are in frustration, again, this energy shows us how powerful we are. Because one, the system wants us to feel like that so it can feed off us. It can feed off those energies, anger, hate, frustration, it can feed off us. And secondly, it... it it um, destroys you. It destroys you to have those feelings and, and um, feelings of hate, feelings of anger, feeling of frustration. It physically, immense, immensely, spiritually destroys you. So it's a win-win situation for the system. It's feeding off those emotions and it's destroying you at the same time. So, but again, it's powerful because you're doing that. You're giving, giving that to the system, that life. You're the one who's, who's, who's using your own power to destroy you. You're doing that. Mm. And when you can see how powerful your destruction is and how powerfully you feed the system, then you can reverse the polarity. You can say, okay, one, which is the most important, you can't get any healing before you do this, is unplug yourself from that investment in that system. A system is Stockholm Syndrome in order to explain it properly. You know, some kidnap victims or, you know, people in bad relationships, kidnappers, people who are kidnapped mainly, um, hostages, they start to build an affinity with the person that has kidnapped them or holding them hostage, yeah? Start to um, deny their own reality and relate to the reality of the person that is oppressing you and abusing you. And it's the same with the family court system. You get that, you're, you're tied into it. You've developed a Stockholm syndrome. You can't speak because they might give you your children. You can't express your love because it might be viewed as um, problematic. All these things encourage you to be a, to destroy yourself basically. So yeah, primary is to re release yourself from that system. And then you'll have the chance to heal what abusive process you went through. Because as I say, there's, there's physical violence and then there's mental trauma. And it's important to note that parental alienation is the effect of what's happened. My children are parents. Parent, I'm alienated from my children. 
And the children are suffering because of that. Children are suffering because of that. Because it's an invisible kind of suffering where the children have Stockholm Syndrome. They have to appease the alienating mother because that is the... Or, or, or parent, alienating. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have to appease them. They have to make the reality workable for them by denying the parent that the alienating parent doesn't want in their lives. So that is, that's a process of abuse for them. The children are being abused. They're being, and as I say, because it's an invisible kind of um, abuse, it's not recognised as abuse. But again, it's primary to what's going on because the system, again, must, in order for it to function, must put the children in that abusive situation where they're facilitating parental alienation. And sadly, unlike us who have the ability, um, having gone through some life, we have the ability to heal ourselves in the in and after some types of trauma. The children don't at that stage, you know. So it's just later down the line that the effects will, you know, begin to manifest. Yeah. Which is why, you know, it's like searching for truth. This is now the searching for truth now, because this is going on now. But as you know, searching for truth um, is is about that. It's about um, healing those negative, looking at those negative emotions from trauma from the past. And I'm just so aware of um, of, of that trauma now that's happening right now. That like most humans will move on from and, you know, get on with their lives as best as they can, but it will always be there. That will never, you know, in most cases will, will be uh, causing dis-ease in some way, um, shape or form and, uh, and, and, and needs to be sorted, which is why I'm so passionate about searching for truth. My trauma was as a child and um, that's why I feel, you know, my heart is, is, is with children so much. And especially now, not just hearing this, what we're talking about here, but just in general at the moment, how many children are going through trauma now with what's going on in the world with all the lockdowns and it, it, it just, yeah. I think I've said broke my heart um, about 50 times in this podcast, <laughs> but it, it really seriously does break my heart. Um, and that's why, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel one thing I can do, just like what you're doing with your videos, is... Um, it's like we're, we're taking some sort of action aren't we feel like we're doing something Definitely. to not get so drawn into the pain and the anger actually in our own way and and every, everyone can do that everyone can find a way of, of of focusing their energy um doing something like what we're doing whatever it is we've all got our gifts our unique gifts you're using yours i'm using mine what can you do out there listening to this, watching this? What can you do that will, um, where you can sort of really focus your, your, your love energy, the positive energy, um, to try and dilute that anger, that negative energy that there's just far too much out there at the moment. Way too much. Yeah. Way too much. Yeah. I'm so glad that many people are though. You know, there are many people that are, because um, there's a natural reaction, isn't it, that happens when, 
when something neg negative happens to you, you either have that, um, and that's the good thing about the human spirit, really, because even though people can become broken and, and trodden down and um, almost out of the game, that human spirit can rise up again. And, and that's what I think the system fears. You know, you, know, you know that they can break people, but they can't quantify the human spirit and the human being that can rise that person up or rise the system up or rise the people up. You can't, you can't comprehend that, you know. So we must all remember that no matter what um, the system's done to us, no matter how broken we might feel, the human spirit, outside of religion, I'm just talking about your spirit. Everybody has felt days where they feel like they're unstoppable or they've woken up and it's been great or they've gone to a party and it's been great or something. And they've felt that human spirit, you know, birth of your child or something. I don't mind they felt it and that, that doesn't go away just because you're in a broken place or you know you've been traumatized. It just needs resurrecting, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thank you so much for sharing everything today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Searching for Truth now. It's been a pleasure being on here. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, that's the end. Thank you. That was great. We've gone, we've covered a lot. We've yeah, covered we a lot. I don't know if you could hear my tummy rumbling. <laughs> no. I could hear my cat. My cat's at the window. My tummy's rumbling. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been, you know. I bet it's much longer than a. Oh, wait a minute. It's, it is longer. It's, we've been recording for hours. Uh, we didn't get started for about 40 minutes though because we were really? faffing around for a while yeah. yeah and there's quite a bit at the end there which um which uh we can piece together i'll play around with it i'm just so glad to have got it finally thank you it's been excellent absolutely excellent you're so great speaking to you honestly you know you just make it like an easy conversation yeah, everyone says that. <laughs> everyone says that. Because people say, like, oh, you know, oh, I'm really nervous. Then afterwards they're like, oh, can we do it again? <laughs> so oh, I'm glad, I'm glad. That's Because uh, this is what I want to do more of. So this is, this is it. This is it. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, thank you. Right, I better get on. Get some food in my belly. Let my cat in before... She decides to move. He decides to move somewhere else. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for that again. You, my, my rest of my day is going to be nice now, very much so because of this. It is. I can already feel that. So thank you, Donna. And I'll speak to you very soon. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks for that. Thank you. And uh, yeah, speak to you very soon. Look forward to I've still got catching up to do with uh, with some of your videos. So. Okay. So usually it's late at night and I think, do you know what? I don't think it's good to go to bed with this, at the, uh, you know, so late before you go to bed. I'm trying to kind of have like meditation or something before I go to bed, not like a... a <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, my darling. Um, lovely talking to you. And um, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Bye, right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye-bye.
That was the interview with myself and Ella Vidawi, all about corruption within the family courts. I'd love to know what you think. And I really do encourage you to go to Ella Vi's YouTube channel. And I've posted a link to that in the notes. Go and have a look and support Ella Vi. And please do share this, especially if you know anyone, any family, any father, any mother, anyone that is or has been affected by the corruption within our family court system. That's all from me for now. I will be back with my next episode very soon. Bye-bye.